less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. What's up, Cash Flow Contractors? Khalil here. Hope that you're having less stress, more time, and more money in your business. Excited for this episode, Slow Down Strategies, talking about how to prepare yourself for economic recession as a contractor. What are the things that you can be doing to make sure that you can weather the storm? Uh, exciting to talk about this because really nobody knows what's going to happen, but I think what people can take from this is that best practices in your business will always carry you through a storm. Um, obviously there's things like the great depression. Hopefully we're not entering something to that scale, but when you're using best practices and you're prudent and conservative, uh, and just on top of things, really you should be able to weather any storm. And so it's a great conversation with Martin. He's got laryngitis. You'll hear a few coughs. Uh, it's, it's a good time, but uh, not for him. <laughs> Anyways, hope you enjoyed the episode and, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Martin, what is Paris like in springtime? <laughs> Paris in the, the spring? In the, the spring. I, I don't know. I saw it on the whiteboard up here and wanted to ask. What, what did that say? Paris in the spring. Look at it again. Read each Paris word. Paris in the, the spring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old editor's thing. You write, Paris in the, the spring, and ask people what it says. And I've done it so many times, I always think, oh, they're going to see that. They always say Paris in the spring with one the. And read it again. It's what it says. Read each word, and then they see it. Mm. Anyway, that's on the board behind you. Uh, yeah. That's an editor's thing. That's why if you're a writer and or write blogs or write books or whatever, you can, or an attorney going through a brief. I've read that four times and that still made a mistake. That's why. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of the reasons. But on a serious note, have you been to Paris in the spring? I have been to Paris. I don't know if I've been in the spring. Probably not. Been in the summer and in the winter. I've been there in the spring. And it's actually, it's colder than you think. Really? And it's, it's wet. It's rainy. Yeah. Very rainy. Yeah. But it's very beautiful too. Um, I am excited for this episode today, but we're, you know, we're, we're September, end of September when we're recording this, probably not releasing it until October, but today, you know, Hurricane Ian's going on in Florida, um, interest rates continue to climb and there's no sign of that stopping, right? Uh, what do you think about this current situation that we're in? What is it? I mean, is it anything... What do you remember about the 80s and the recessions that happened, especially in Oklahoma with the oil? Well, I was in Nebraska at the time. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it was pretty wicked. Um, our interest operating line interest rates at the grain elevators that I was managing was 22%. Hmm. And farmers were coming in. Uh, you could buy a really nice new car at the beginning in 74 an Oldsmobile. I have a guy's Oldsmobile in mind. He went and bought it. $3,500. <laughs> and corn, soybeans were about $3 a bushel and they went to over 20 Oh, wow. I mean, it was it was insane. People would come in with a shaft for a tractor part and say, I bought one of these two years ago for 80 bucks. This one cost 700 So, yeah, Volker was his name and 
they put in the uh, restrictive uh, Fed policies. Oh, he was and, the Fed chair at the time? Yeah. And <coughs> sure, it was Paul Volcker. Paul Volcker. I don't, I don't know if we have any historians here trying to check me out. But Every contractor anyway, they, knows they, the they, Fed it chairs. Went, it went insane. My, my first house mortgage was uh, 9.5%. And we were thrilled to get it because they went to 13, 14, 15%. And I heard stories of the old days in the 50s and the 40s when interest rates were 3%. I couldn't believe it. So I, I don't know. It took 10, 8 or 9 years to get there to clear things out. Yeah. And do you think it's going to be that long this time? I mean, obviously, no one knows. I mean, I, and it's a, but would you be, you would you be well, shocked? Probably. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. Everybody wants to know, should I build more houses? You know, should we cut back? Should we, you know, I don't know. One thing that, that's really interesting, I listen to economic, you know, stock report and all these guys, this is going up, this is going down, all this. Well, I'm here to tell you, there isn't one of those guys knows anything. No one knows. I mean, they, they have their opinions, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're wrong. I'm not sure. Uh, I know that from trading commodities for a lot of years. Farmers used to think, because I talked to Chicago every day, I knew what was going to go on. And I said, no, you know. No they, idea. Nobody knows. And, I mean, case in point, who knew COVID was coming? Yep. Right? And uh, so people don't know what's going to happen. The, the best approach to anything like this is a rational, balanced approach where you're not putting all your eggs in, in some crazy trendy basket gonna make it big uh, you, but you're not just sitting back doing nothing and hiding out yeah it's, it's the same as it always is a, a balanced approach to balanced the, approach. To the future do you think you know obviously you can have your opinion on whatever but I would say and you probably agree that a lot of the money that was pumped in through the uh, yeah. the different acts that were passed by legislation and government um, are causing a lot of this. Do you think that they're going to try to support people through this recession if it does slow down a lot? <laughs> and then continue well, you, this process? You, you just can't do that. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I mean, may, maybe there's new age stuff I don't know about, but you, you just can't do that. What, what is really weird about this as compared to when back in the late 70s and up to about 1990, is the government has pushed $6 trillion into the economy. Which is nuts. And our, our listeners, every one of you, there might be somebody out there who didn't, but you got a piece of it. If you're a business owner, you got PPP or EIDL, which I know you have to pay back, but it's cash. Um, there's the ERTC going around now. Employee retention it's tax credits. It's another potential way to get some significant money into small business. So we're having inflation. Uh, things are going on, but we're building a parking lot, and I'm starting to finally get some bids, but it's been crazy just trying to get somebody to bid. I'm going to back up. Your wife owns a business. She just bought a new building. They need more spaces to be able to operate, so yeah. they're building. you're literally building a parking lot. Yeah. You kind of just went right into that, like, inflation to parking lot. I don't well, know if people I, caught That's that. my example is, <laughs> yeah, okay, well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, my, my point being, when inflation— the, the reason the Fed raises the interest rates is it slows down activity in interest rate-sensitive areas of the economy, buying cars, buying houses, OK? 
okay, new projects that require borrowing money. Right. Doesn't have to be building a house. It can be building a parking lot, right? right? Like we're doing. So they want to slow down the activity because the idea is, and we'll talk about that, if there's money not available, then there are people not requesting bids, and therefore prices are going to go down. Right. right. Because supply material will go down because there's not as much demand for it. The labor will go down because there's not as much demand for it. So that's the theory, and I think it's more than theory. That's kind of the way it works. (laughs) Yeah. But what's different this time is we've raised significantly the interest rates through Fed activity, but I cannot get guys to bid my parking lot. Because they're busy. Because they're busy. I can't get to it until after the first year, man. Or not even call me back. If there were a dearth a lack of business, guys would be calling me, sorry to bother you after hours, man. I really want to bid this. Right. Sharpen my pencil, right? So it's very weird, this one compared to the your original question back in the 70s and 80s. And one of the things that's weird about it is there's $6 trillion floating around in the right. economy that the government just gave you. So... Yeah. Yeah, I'm worried about interest rates, but I don't need to borrow any money because I still got my EIDL loan. Right. Right. And there are a lot of people saying, I don't still have my EIDL loan cash, but I promise you a lot of people do. I know this for a fact yeah. from my clients. Yeah. And uh, finding places to spend it or at least have it as a reserve. Yeah. So it makes well, it different. And I don't know, there's probably listeners that still haven't done the ERTC. We're, we have uh, someone on the podcast here in the coming weeks that talks extensively about it, why right. it's important, what is available to you, all those things. And if you haven't done the ERTC, that's something that you need to go and look into now uh, as we prepare yeah, for this slowdown. That's a good uh, point. Most people are starting to hear or receive calls talking about the ERTC, the Employee Retention Tax Credit. Yeah. Um, and they're dismissing them mm-hmm. because they're saying, oh, I looked at that earlier and I didn't qualify based on revenue. They have changed the, the qualifying yeah. criteria. We're going to talk about it in depth. You may want to do it. You may not want to do it. It will cause you to have to do something <laughs> like amend a tax return and so on. But it can be very much worth it. Oh, it could be tens of thousands and, of dollars. And But you might get audited and government tell you in three years give me the money back so we'll talk about the ins and outs but it is definitely real it's it's not a scam it's something that well they're probably scammers doing it so this is an endorsement of no one but it's a real thing and it's really working but but it's something to consider yeah for sure um well we were asked this question about slowdown strategies from a listener um Shout out to Weston Peters. Thanks for listening. Did we even say that's what we're talking about? I think we did. I mean, obviously, I'm talking about the economy and uh, And by the way, my voice, I had a disruptive client this morning, and I was screaming at him from about 7.30 till we just started. So my voice is gone for me yelling at a client. Yeah, usually that's only with your Friday clients, so we don't hear it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I had the weekend to recover. Yeah. Yeah. It's either that or I've got laryngitis. One of the two. So slowdown strategies, how do you, how should you prepare your business for a slowdown in the economy? Um, you know, I think we have very similar viewpoints on this, but <clears throat> we're going to be talking why cash is king again, which we've, 
is a consistent, if you've listened to this show, uh, it's consistent for us in our viewpoint, but also just that best business practices always apply. That's why they're best business practices. And if you're doing those things, then you're probably going to be okay. Uh, there might be some small adjustments that you might make, but best business practices. So let's just recap some of those really fast that we've always said. Uh, one, you need to be bidding at a really good margin. And if you're not, if you're making concessions, if you're not looking at your margins, you're not gonna be doing things right. Uh, you need to make sure that you're making a good net profit as well. Um, that you need to keep good books, you need to know your numbers. That's gonna help you understand the decisions that you're gonna be able to make as things do slow down, if they do for your uh, your business. Um, and operating off of a vision, having narrow scope of services that you do extremely well, having a unique value proposition, all these things are tremendously important. We won't go over all of these as some of the strategies because they're just the best practices. If you wanna know some of these best practices, go and listen to some of our other episodes and that will probably help you. So assuming that you already have best practices or you understand what those are, let's talk about some of the things that truly matter and let's go over cash is king a little bit. Why does cash matter so much in a slowdown? Well, I think it's your ability to pay your bills <laughs> to meet your exactly. obligations. Um, cash is king in that you, you must have it. You can't meet your obligations. But when you're talking about preparing for a slowdown, if you distill it to its simplest form, you're talking about having sufficient cash to meet your obligations into into the future hmm. with reduced business activity so that really is what we're talking about yeah um, if if we want to talk about um, cash in particular uh, a particular kind of cash you, you mentioned having good books and I suggest that people do I have enough cash to go to, to look to the future that's where having good books really help you they they do more than tell you what's in your bank account, yeah. which you can see on your phone, but they tell you about working capital, which we've talked about in a recent episode. But working capital is the money that you need to fund accounts receivable and inventory, minus what is lent to you by your suppliers as payables. So you have to know what working capital you have. Working capital in your business, if you're still in business and you've been around more than in a year. You need to know what that is and what the requirement for that is. And once you understand this is the working capital I've been relying on, how far forward will it carry me? Yeah. yeah with, with knowledge, not just guessing. So that's one thing I think you can do to prepare um, because that's what you've got to improve. And before we get to kind of operational things, doing things like collecting your receivables yeah. and a lot of times collecting receivables means prompt billing. You know, how many times I walk in, well, we haven't billed that yet. When was your last day? It was two weeks ago, but I'm waiting for this or no, bill it yeah. immediately, you know. As quickly as possible. Extending your payables. Now, if you're a supplier listening to this, <laughs> I mean, everybody, when they're not paying you, they're extending their payables because you're receivable somebody else's, but extend your payables. Uh, we can just touch real quickly on you have to generate enough cash to make a profit, which means pay your expenses, but you also have to collect enough cash every month to pay your debt 
service. Yep. Meaning the payments on your car and and uh, your other maybe payments on your long term debt. And before we go into operational things, there are two things to think about specifically. One is a line of credit. So a uh, line of credit, I think everybody knows what that is. You you make a facility that you can borrow the money, but you don't borrow it until you need it. Right. Right. Well, the time to do that is now. Not in a slide. And if you already have one, but maybe you'd be better off after looking at your working capital, that, man, if things went down 30%, I would need more cash to support my my business. Maybe go talk to your bank about making that, doubling the size of your LOC or letter of credit or 10% more. Another thing you can do is if you have a building mortgage, something like, or long-term debt, maybe an operating note that is paid out on monthly terms, you can go to your bank and say, I'm anticipating uh, managing my cash better. I would like to re-amortize this uh, operating loan from $5,000 a month to $3,000 a month. So that would help your cash flow. It won't pay your note down faster, but it help your cash flow. So there are a lot of individual things you can do to prepare to have better cash flow if you're aware that you need to do that. Right. And then actually go do that. And you're only aware if you have the books, and that's yeah. why we said it. But cash is, is going to be extremely helpful in those cases, and a cash reserve is a necessity. You mentioned that a lot of people receive the idle loan, but have kept it as cash. Right. And that's a really good strategy for the slowdown. Uh, it'll be a very helpful. But keeping your cash reserve and trying to grow your cash reserve now if you haven't, uh, you know, yeah. doing whatever you can. Um, and you do talk about best business practices. If you've been doing good business practice practices, bidding with margins, collecting your bills, keeping good books, you know, the whole thing, that's great. But if you're looking to a downturn, you can also look out there and say, what kind of things are at the edge? Like, am I looking at buying a new machine to get into a completely different business? Yeah. Like an automatic curb pouring machine, right? <laughs> for your parking lot. Yeah, for, for my, I'm thinking about parking lots. Uh, you might consider those in, in the uh, risk. The other side of it, and I think we'll talk more about it, on your expense side, I promise you, everybody listening has expenses that they know they need to cut. Yep. And they haven't done it because yep. it's a tough decision. Frequently, those tough decisions are people. Yep. And we don't want to let them go for all the reasons. But it's time to take a hard look now before you're really suffering from a downturn rather than in the downturn. Yeah. Right? By letting this person or that person go, you might be, in fact, saving five other people's positions. Not only that, by keeping that person on, you're not helping their professional growth because right. if they don't deserve to be on your team, and I just talked about this in the Necessary Endings um, episode that we did, but yeah, the you're hurting their professional growth. You're, you're not helping them by lying to them and keeping them on and helping them out and all this stuff. Now, yeah, wife's got cancer or something like that and they're a great employee, but they're having to be home more. Yeah, you need to help that. <laughs> like that, you don't need to, but that's okay. But you can be there for them. But if they've 
you know, been quiet quitting on you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, they've, you know, they've always been the person that's the first to leave the last one in, uh, they, are you're always having to remind them to take care of things. They're not, you know, living out your values as a team. Everybody on the team knows, you know, they can't really trust them with certain things. Yeah. You probably need to let them go. Um, and, and, and remove some of that so that you are operating under best practices again, and you have a, a clean, um, a good workforce that's lean and clean and working well, uh, it's going to be really helpful for you. I want to, you know, as we've talked about cash, we understand how important it is. And in, in way we've talked about some ways of increasing our cash by in cash flow, by having better receivables, best practices for getting those, uh, receivables in a, in a quicker manner, but then also extending maybe our payables if we can with <laughs> suppliers. I think I want to, take the conversation into playing offense versus playing defense, reducing expenses versus increasing revenue uh, in many ways. But let's talk about some more of the playing defense. It's not just the team that you can let go of to cut expenses, uh, but there's also a lot of expenses around technology oftentimes. I see this a lot with companies that have software agreements where you know, if, if you've got a really key software, maybe it's your project management software or um, something related to your CRM or your sales or your marketing. One, consolidate your technology if possible. That's why it's important not to have this tech stack uh, that is just so broad and wide and you have so many different softwares going on. Do you really need to be paying for the Zoom account or can you get away, away with the free version? Do you really need to be paying for the software that sends you reminders on such and such or whatever? Or maybe can you get get away without it? Limit the scope of your tech stack, get it tightened up, and then with those agreements that you have with some of those vendors, see if you can negotiate it. Software companies are typically really good at negotiating with you because the reality is they're they're making such a they're, high profit margin. Their variable costs are very low. Their variable costs are so low that they're willing to negotiate with you, especially if you explain your circumstance. Hey, we're looking at probably having to cut you. A lot of times they'll be like, hey, what, what if we gave you a 30% discount? Great, fantastic, let's do it, you know? Um, so that's a good one to look at. Um, looking at, you, you mentioned the curb machine and are you looking at buying that machine? What are the machines that you have that you purchased maybe with your idle loan or, you know, you've, you've had for years but you really only use every once in a while? Can you eliminate that service from what you offer and maybe sell that machine? Um, those are always, you know, big assets that you can get rid of. Um, insurance is another one. Go and shop insurance on your trucks, on your health insurance. General liability, yeah. I mean, go and find other people that go get quotes because you could, I mean, you'd be surprised, especially if you haven't done that in a long time, you may be able to save 50%. <laughs> you never know. Like there's just so many yeah. options out there. See that all the time. Yeah. And then uh, benefits was the other one I had. Like you, there's benefits you're providing to employees. Not that you have to cut them, but what are some of the ones, what would be the first ones to go, right? Um, and and maybe that that's something that you can talk to your team about. Hey guys, what, you know. We're, maybe you keep the insurance, but the 401k. Matching uh, goes away. Matching or is reduced. Is reduced, yeah. There's different things. And and. If you include your team in those conversations, they'll respect you for it because they're going to understand. They they know what the climate looks like. They're here in the news, um, so don't don't be shy to Most have those conversations. Most of them will understand. Some will 
loudly quit. Loudly quit? <laughs> no, that'll never happen. No, other things, too, is inventory. I was going to, yeah. a real bugaboo. Um, use it up, take it back. I don't know. Not everybody can return stuff, but mm-hmm. I know an electrical supply, uh, plumbing, you can take it back. Yeah. You don't need to have $100,000 worth of inventory. inventory sitting in the warehouse that you're driving over with the forklift <laughs> and buying another one because you didn't know it was there. Yeah. It's time to really, I mean, we're just talking about get really efficient. And when you, when you look at some of the activities you do, don't remember if it's Brian Tracy or who says it, but the question isn't, how can I do this better? Mm. The, the first question is, should I be doing this at all? Yep. And that's one of the hardest things to know is, is this activity worth it or not? Where should I not be spending my time is right. an important question to ask. I think with inventory, so many people have used that as a competitive advantage during the supply chain issues is having so much inventory because they were worried of not being able to get it for six months and their competitors don't have right. the inventory. So maybe they do have a ton I'll of inventory. i say historically on inventory, contractors, most of them have inventory by mistake. <laughs> They're not using it as a competitive tool. Sure. I mean, your point is well taken sure. for the supply house, but mostly it wound up because we bought extra for that job yep. and threw it in the warehouse when we're done. Yeah. So, yeah, you can get a lot better at, at that and surprising how much money you can yeah. get, which, by the way, is working capital. Exactly, which we have an episode that I know that this is late September. It actually released today called Deploying Capital. Go back and check that out. Um Let's talk about playing offense a little bit. Um, I think one of the most valuable things that a business owner could do right now is go through some what-if scenarios. Maybe you're already feeling the impacts of a lot of this, but I don't know many business owners that are starting to feel the slowdown that badly. They still have work. Kind of like you said, you can't get anybody to bid your parking lot. But go through the what-if scenarios. What if we lost 40% of our, our sales? What if... Uh, materials increase for some reason by 30%. What if, um, I don't know, there's, there's so many different what-if scenarios that you can go through, but go through those what-if scenarios now, take some time to do that, and just think about what are the things that you could do in that circumstance, uh, and what what are the things that won't work in those circumstances, and that's where you can spend some of your time and at least have a plan in place, and then it allows you to know what your... <laughs> Your targets are allows you to know what your, uh, you know, at what point do you need to sound the alarm? Essentially, yeah, really, literally, how to do that is go out there by month, look at your books, go out there by month, go for a year, twelve months, and change the top line, the sales. We sold this much, then the cost of sales. You can play with the margins a little bit, then look at your overhead. So your sales go down 30%, margins go down 5%, maybe from 40% to 35%. That's more than 5%, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, and then see, ooh, we actually start losing money here. Yeah. Uh, and then what can I do about that? Well, you have to uh, lighten the burden on expenses. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Weston talked about when he asked, for this episode was one of the things he considered, I think it was 
in Weston that said yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But about the subs, <clears throat> he said you yeah. can contract things out. Absolutely. That uh, if you do have a curb machine and four guys who run it and a truck that pulls it, you know, all this stuff, and you go, you know, I can still do these jobs, but I can sub out the curb machine. And the big benefit of that is it may cost you more. Um, that's the idea of buying a machine and having your own crew. Yeah. If you do enough, it costs you less. But the good thing about it is you're not firing five guys. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you're just not rehiring a sub. Yeah. Right. So it's things like that. You say, man, I could get rid of this over here. So this equipment, let these guys go work for the sub and not me, and be in a nimble position that I can pull back if I have to, but I can still do do the job. It's just going to cost me by by making a variable cost of a sub instead of a fixed cost of owning it, you're buying flexibility. Absolutely. You're buying flexibility by that. Yeah. And preserving your cash in many right. ways. I, you know, we, we really tailored this episode to asphalt, concrete pavers. Um, and if there are any out there listening, Martin does need a bid on a parking <laughs> lot. I actually know yeah. we have two. Actually, I've got, I've got two and another one coming this morning. But it took six weeks to get it. Well, no, we literally have two listeners I know that oh, at, like that do asphalt and concrete paper. Well, then so call me up. They're not in, the, in Oklahoma, but that's all right. It's okay. You can um, bring all your stuff out of here. So a couple of things on playing offense that we've talked about uh, are your relationships, going out and really maintaining those relationships, whether it's with, you know, you're a sub, it's with the GCs or, you know, residential, you're looking at builders uh, maybe Supplier. suppliers, realtors, other peers in the industry. Uh, if you're a sub with other subs, go and talk to these people, schedule lunches, coffee, have them come by the office, whatever it might be, but maintain those relationships really well because you will need them as things do slow down. But you're also going to be able to keep a pulse on how the market's looking on what they're experiencing, how they're handling it, what strategies they're deploying. Um, and that's one of the most valuable things you can have whenever, whenever you're sick and you have a sickness. The worst thing is being sick and not knowing what you're sick with because you don't know what you can do. And so you're, you're worried, you're anxious, and you're trying all these different things, taking all these vitamins or supplements or whatever, and it's not working or you don't know if it's going to work. And it's stressful. The same thing is going to happen with the slowdown. When is it coming? Why is it here? You know, what's causing this? All these different things. But if you can, if you can be, you know, keep a finger on the pulse of your relationships, of what's happening in the industry uh, across the board, whether it's with realtors or inspection companies or lenders or insurance people, keep those relationships close by so that now you, you're more aware of what's going on and you know how to handle the, the slowdown or the effects uh, properly. So that's, that's another way of playing offense. Um, another thing that we talked about, and this is another best business practice, but being, we've already talked about being lean, limiting the scope of your services, subbing out some of the things that you may have done before. Um, but if you are able to really hone in, we were talking about this before, but a, a pool builder, if you were doing some remodel stuff for the backyard or, you know, also doing decks or whatever it might be, maybe focus on the pool exclusively and start to hone that in um, so that you can be extremely efficient, extremely lean. Uh, and then when you are able to do that, 
maybe you can expand your service area just a little bit where now you're driving an extra 20 miles, but you're still efficient. You haven't increased your costs except the gas, right? And the travel time. Um, and that might be a way of opening up your market to have more jobs available to you as you go through it. But if you're expanding your services, then your costs are by nature going to go up more than just by expanding your market. And the likelihood of exceeding, succeeding when you have so many offerings, some of which make you margins and you're good at, others of which maybe don't make you margins, but you hope they will someday when you get well, get good at it. Perhaps the time to cut bait is now. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a contractor that um, is extremely efficient, especially like some of the manu more manufacturing type ones like cabinets, um, countertops, where you can do a lot of the work in your shop, but the installation is uh, the only thing that you really need to travel for. That's a really good one, expanding your market. Because the only thing that's changed is the installation. And if you're subbing out the installation, uh, the location of the installation, then it, it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. You just add, increase your, your bid a little bit. So you should be able to expand your market really easily. Maybe you're going to a town that's two hours away, three hours away, uh, and you just hire a salesperson in that town. And if they can sell it at the margin that you set, now you're able to, to do all the work in the same location, but then it's installed somewhere else and you, you just increase your, your prices. Break even, you'll know how many they have to sell to pay their salary Yeah. before you start making money. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, personally, I've never been through a big slowdown. And so I, you know, these are all theory for me, Martin, you've been through some of it, but I feel like, again, a lot of these things are best practices, whether you're in a slowdown or not, if you deploy some of these things, you're going to be running a good yeah. business. Um, anything else you have to share with our listeners, Martin? Well, just kind of summing it up, you know, what, what can you actually do? The, the first thing is you need to know where you stand. If you yeah. collected all your receivables, paid all your payable, got your inventory down to the right levels, what do I have available as resources given my expenses? So you need to know where you stand. Then at various <clears throat> assumptions like business is going to be climbed by a third or a half, how long will that carry me? Yeah. And once you had that, it's like you said, once you know what the disease is, you can yeah. take the right pill or or just die, which <laughs> may happen. But once you know what the problem is, you can take action. And you say, I'm fairly, I'm certain that these are the resources I have because I have good books and I've looked at my working capital and so on. I know that this is what it costs me to go forward in terms of overhead and variable cost. If my business goes down by 30%, I can see that I do not, I'm not selling enough either to make a profit or make a profit and service my debt, then you say, I must change this. I must. Yeah. Not, you're not kidding yourself. Say, well, maybe it won't go down 30%. Well, maybe it won't. But if that's going to be your operating uh, decision. But once you've done that, you, can, you have some data and you say, I have to reduce my overhead by 10%. I have to get my margins up. I have to find a way to sell more. But you realize it's not going to be an ambush. In January 1st, you wake up and go, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm out of business. Right? Well, and I think for so many people, pain is avoided, but it's necessary. 
And as terrible as, you know, a recession can be and, you know, like the Great Depression was awful, right? But there's so many amazing things that happen out of pain. There's so many great decisions, great <sighs> results from having to deal with hardship. And a lot of people have been delaying some endings that have needed to happen in their business, whether it's a relationship with a supplier, a type of service they had in their company, someone that was on their team. <clears throat> We're all coughing here, Martin. Or equipment. equipment. It's highly contagious. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that 15 minutes. That's funny. No, uh, but there's so many things that have needed to end for a long time and so many things that have needed to start, like managing your cash better and looking at your books more frequently and keeping your books. Hey, you know, I got to say this too, because I was thinking, it. don't buy stupid stuff, right? Especially since this will air close to tax time. Don't buy stuff to save on taxes. If you have to have it, okay, perhaps you buy it this year. Um, yeah. And you get the tax break this year. But just because, well, I could buy this because it saved me $40,000 and you don't really need it. No, because that's a trap. Uh, if you spent cash to do it, you've just hammered your cash. If you had borrowing, you've hammered your cash again, your borrowing capacity, and you're going to have to start paying it back. So don't buy stupid stuff ever, but especially not just to save on taxes. Yeah. Well, anyways, good episode. Uh, we'll see how this pans out. And uh, I think that the advice that we've given is not just particular to any slowdown, but also to... It's particularly important in the face it is. of a slowdown. It is, but it's important regardless. Yeah. So, um, yeah, appreciate your time, Martin. Yes, sir. Paris in the springtime. Paris in the, the springtime. <laughs> hey, cash flow contractors. Thanks for checking out this episode on Slowdown Strategies. I hope you found it helpful. If there's anything that we mentioned in this episode that you would like to learn more about, that you'd like us to talk about more in a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find our information in the show notes. And like always, share this episode with your peers, with anybody in the industry, coworkers. Uh, we, we'd love to grow our show and have things continue to go uh, well for this, this podcast. Uh, as my microphone moves away from me here, I will, uh, I'll see you guys soon.